Good evening, everybody. Welcome. Nice to be with you wherever you are, near or far. I am also, um, well, I'm calling in just not far down the road from Spirit Rock. I'm, on a, I'm actually on a retreat right now, so I'm sort of popping out a retreat, my own solar retreat to teach today. Um, I'm in a cabin out on the coast in uh, Bolinas and um, enjoying my time here in the in the quietude and although it's a howling windy night there's 40 15 mile an hour winds coming in off the pacific so it's kind of a wild night out there um this is uh unceded coastal miwok lands and as i always do when i teach on zoom is i ask you to just let us know where you are so some of you put that in your in your name but just gives me a little sense of the geography of where you are and um and also if you are able to at least in the beginning to turn your video screen on just so we can see each other as a sangha community um and uh you know put names to faces we might recognize names or more likely recognize faces but not names that's usually my case i teach so much and so many different people but it's nice to actually see faces and, and when i'm teaching it's also nice to see faces and um yeah also nice to see the the spread of geography that we have people calling in from australia and from canada and alaska and the u.s and all kinds of places beside that east coast west coast in the south and um yeah bc in the midwest in the in the midwest yeah great all right so um so what happens in these Monday night classes is we sit together and um, and I'll do a little guided, but not so much. I want to kind of also preserve the silence when we sit, but I'll give a little instructions and then we'll take a short break and, and then I'll um, give some teachings. And since I'm doing my own nature um, retreat, I will be giving some reflections about nature and um, nature practice, but particularly through the doorway of the heart, through the doorway of love and how the, the teachings that the Buddha spoke to of the Brahma Viharas, of these divine abodes of the heart, love, compassion, joy, equanimity, how the natural world is a beautiful doorway for exploring the heart as many of you probably already know um, so many dharma teachings are just stating the obvious or reminding you of what you already know um, so thanks for sharing where you are good to see all these different places including from uh, hawaii and mexico from chapas and alaska and up and down the coast and yeah 
So let's sit together, friends. So establishing a comfortable posture wherever you are. Maybe sitting, maybe lying down if that's a more suitable posture for your body. Maybe standing if you're kind of sleepy and wanting to be a little more energized. Um, Maybe sitting on bench, on the ground, on a cushion. My invitation, since we're sitting at home, is to not be too comfortable. (laughs) And what I mean by that is don't just slouch on the couch. The more you slouch on the couch, the more you will just zone out into a more dream space than an awake space. And we want to be cultivating wakefulness, alertness. So I'm sitting on a dining room chair, which is a good good um, kind of chair for meditation. Flat, flat back. Sorry, flat surface, upright. So, and as we take our meditation seat to just bring some awareness to both your intention for your practice and also noticing how you settle in in the same way that we're mindful as we're flying and the plane lands that we're mindful of how the the plane sort of lands enters into the runway in the same way as we we're sort of arriving landing in meditation just notice how you how you orient how you arrive how you um, come into relationship with this moment through stillness through the body through the senses And closing your eyes, or at least lowering your gaze, or, or at least uh, if your eyes are open, gaze away from the screen. And coming into stillness in the same way that you might come into stillness if you were sitting in a meditation hall. Okay, so letting go of distractions, devices. Just simply arriving in your own skin, arriving in your body as an expression of the earth. So sensing your body as of the earth, in its fullness of sensory landscape. And tuning as you arrive into your own body with awareness, what is the quality 
that you sense, what's the quality of energy, bright or dull, calm or buzzy. What's the quality of stillness? Or is there is the quietude in the stillness or agitation and restlessness? So inviting, orienting towards ease, towards relaxation, towards stillness. Sensing the body, touching the earth, earth sitting on earth. Feeling, sensing, receiving the sensations of body, of touch, pressure, tingling, warmth, coolness. Noticing how sensations are known quite naturally, felt quite naturally in awareness. Awareness, this knowing quality of mind not separate from that which is known. Sensations arise and are felt. Breath moves and is felt. You may choose in this practice to stay primarily with an awareness of sensations, Tune to the movement of inhale, exhale. And to rest in the awareness, the knowing of experience, the knowing of sensations. Sensations being known in awareness, intimate, connected with these passing phenomena. Times aware of other phenomena, the sounds, sounds inside, outside, and the movement of thought pulling the attention. Times the surfacing of moods and emotions that invite attention. So sitting receptively, openly. An awareness, 
present to the ebb and flow of experience. Noticing how awareness naturally reveals phenomena. Awareness is already already here, already knowing, awake, present. We're simply being mindful of that which is being known. Sensations, breath, sounds, feelings, thoughts. Returning to an abiding in awareness over and over. And this way we practice together.
Where is attention in this moment? If not here, being curious, what draws awareness? Notice the tendency to preference the thinking mind, thoughts, ideas, plans. Keep reorienting to the immediacy of experience through the body, through breath, through the senses. Abiding in this knowing quality of awareness, knowing what's happening as it's happening.
Each moment is an invitation to arrive, to begin again, to meet experience with a kind attention. Short moments of awareness, many times through a single sitting. No sooner do we leave than we arrive here over and over, intimate with changing experience. And so in these last few minutes, meeting whatever's here with awareness, kindness, invitation of allowing. And as we bring our practice to a close, no matter what's happened in the meditation, sensing into the goodness of your intention, the goodness of your practice, and the fact that you're here with an intention, aspiration to be present, to be awake, to wake up. friends. So nice to sit together. Regardless of what happens, nice to sit together. Because you know, we've got minds and we've got brains that tend to 
ruminate and plan and forever tracking and managing the imagined future. And so we get busy. And so much of meditation is watching this panorama, this, it's like watching a play sort of revealed in front of our own, you know, our own awareness, just so. And that's partly why we practice. I was with my dear friend, Wes Niska, the other day, there was a 80th birthday celebration and tribute to him. Any of you will know Scoop Niska from all kinds of things, from his teaching, writing, radio show, activist, comedian. And um, he beautifully points his, his, one of his books that got re-released that's now called, what's called, I think it's still called Living Dharma. I could be wrong about that. But it's his book about Four Noble Truths, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness through the lens of evolutionary biology. And um, one of the great lines that he talks about is, he says, you are not your fault. You are not your fault. The fact that your mind is busy, the fact that your attention gets lost in thought is not your fault. That's just part of the hardwiring that we happen to be inhabiting. And so when we can understand that, when we can take a sort of big view, it's, oh, right, it's just the mind and the brain doing its thing. And our practice is to see if we can surface enough awareness to be present to that. So I noticed um, people shared some things in the chat, and um, and also uh, Liana put some information about some events that I'm doing, in case they're of interest, they're in the chat, doing an online week-long retreat from the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. Exploring the nature of awareness, which is a profound and beautiful topic in, in, in person for those of you who are sort of in the Bay Area, 26, 25th, 26th of uh, March. And then in Awaken the Wild Nature Retreat, which I'll be sort of referring to some of those practices today. Uh, that's at Esalen in May. Okay, let's take a break. So we'll take about five minutes and uh, come back um, 8.01, 8.02, and we'll have a talk and reflection. Okay. Thanks.
back, you can turn your screens on if you're doing that. So I sense you're back in your seats. So for my talk, I need to give a little bit of context. For those of you who know me and my work, you don't need this context, but probably a fair amount of you aren't so familiar with my work. So I've been um, uh, teaching in the insight tradition the last mm, 25 years, and but been teaching primarily outdoors in nature for the last 20 years now through my work, Awake in the Wild, which I've written about extensively, including this new book, A Field Guide to Nature Meditation, just came out. And so my own Dharma practice, <clears throat> my own Dharma journey, <clears throat> excuse me, has um, been very much informed by being outdoors in nature meditating in nature, doing my own retreats like I'm doing right now this week in nature. Um, and so the, the reflections and the, the insights and the things I wish to share tonight really come from that journey, both my own journey outdoors, meditating in nature, but also teaching, leading Awake the Wild retreats and now training teachers to lead this work and and so, um, so that that's the background, and, and of course, I imagine many of you also um, nature lovers and go outside. Maybe I don't know. Let's just do a raise of hands. How many of you um, meditate outside? Just just wave or raise your hand, or you can do the raised hand in Zoom. Okay, some of you. There's a lot of you on on video, so you can. Um, just a quick scroll through here. Okay, some of you. Yeah, okay, you can lower your hands now. Um, so, yeah, okay, that gives me a little context. Some of you raised two hands. Like, yay! <laughs> right. So, and, and some of those, some of these reflections are... are they're very much coming from my my retreat uh, this week, um, which I am relishing and mostly not looking at screens, unlike what I'm doing now. <laughs> it's nice to get off the screen and get off Zoom. Um, so, so being outdoors in nature is is an is is a playground for the heart. Um, and that's really what I want to explore tonight, the, the ways the heart can be moved, touched, opened, connected, uh, informed um, through being outdoors, through being mindful outdoors, right? There's a difference between just being outdoors. We can be very 
spaced out, lost in our heads and our devices or conversation and not have any connection to the outdoors, even though we're outdoors. And when, I'm, when I speak about being outdoors, I'm speaking about being contemplatively aware as we're outside. Um, and what arises in, in the heart, like, for example, this morning I, I was meditating um, at dawn. Uh, it was actually dark when I started meditating and then, and it was foggy too. And it was, um, and then the dawn came and then I, I heard the, what I love about getting up at dawn or before dawn is, is you hear the, the um, different, you hear the songbirds starting to wake up. And so the first bird I heard were the stellar jays and then the scrub jays. And then I heard, um, Phoebe's, and then I forget exactly the order. Um, and then some finches and goldfinches, house finches and chickadees and, and, and woodpecker even. Um, and it's just very endearing to just feel wherever these birds are. I mean, it's always one of those mysteries to me where birds go at night, but they, I assume... Some of them are in nests, some of them are just perched in seclusion somewhere in trees and shrubs and and just hearing this this dawn not exactly chorus, but the waking up of the of the bird the bird family um, and just feeling that tenderness of of life waking up, fluffing its feathers and then similarly, I was walking down to the ocean today and and I came across some deer who were quite startled. I was walking through the woods and um, and they were not used to seeing people walk down this little, this meadow and, um, and then seeing them just sort of, you know, kind of comfortable lying in the grass, but with very awake eyes and very alert ears to whether I'm safe or prey, a predator and, um, and again, just you know, just sensing, you know, we can be we can be many things in nature, but when we can be aware in nature, and we can also be aware of what arises through the heart, right? how how our heart is 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 in relationship and being touched, moved. Um, and I think one of the, one of the reasons why that that being outdoors. We we wake up in a different way. Our senses wake up in a different way. Our, our connectivity wakes up. Our, our recognition becomes more acute. Our heart starts to feel more. It's because we when we go outdoors, however much we've been outdoors in our lives, but evolutionarily speaking, we are going back into our home, our ancestral home in the woods. And the forests, and the meadows, and the grasslands, and um, where we've where we've evolved as a species, and I think so much of our of our current woes and our existential crises and our mental health challenges, you know, much of that I think is because of the way that we're living so disconnected, so divorced from the natural world. Not all of us. Some of you might be living in the country or in the woods, or some of you might be you know, working on the land, but probably out of this 100 and however many is on the call, 120 on the call, 
um, very few, um, you know, we're becoming an indoor species 95% of time indoors, if not more. And so when we go outside, we there's this part of our animal body uh, starts to wake up. We start to feel our, our sort of ancestral nature. And this is a, a reading from Meister Eckhart from, I think, like the 14th century. And he's speaking very beautifully to this notion of returning to, to nature. He said... Um, and he's a Christian mystic, he said, when I was the stream, when I was the forest, when I was still the field, when I was every hoof, foot, fin, and wing, when I was the sky itself, no one ever asked me, did I have a purpose? No one ever wondered, was there anything I might need? For there was nothing I could not love. It was when I left all we once were that the agony began, the fear and questions came, and I wept and I wept. Tears I'd never known before. So I returned to the river. I returned to the mountains and the meadows, streams. I asked for their hand in marriage again. I begged. I begged to wed every object and every creature. I beg to come into, in my words, a more intimate relationship with life, with the natural world. And so, so you may explore the, the, these things for yourself um, next time you go outside, hopefully tomorrow, or for those of you in Australia today. Um, and just to see what 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 is evoked in the heart, um, and we may f and and of course when we enter any natural landscape, we are entering into a relationship, into a reciprocal relationship, where we're knowing and being known, we're sensing and being sensed. We tend to think because of our egocentric self-referencing, localizing our vantage point here, that, that my experience of the world is through my senses, through awareness. And it's kind of a one-way street, like I'm knowing, in this case right now, the wind or the light or the sea or the breeze or the, what it smells. But when we're in a natural landscape, we are in a relationship where we are being known, just as I was being known, as first I was being heard by the deer way before I knew them. I was being smelt by the deer. I came across a coyote today who probably sensed me hundreds of yards before I became aware of them. Um, and, and so... So we can be aware and we can be cognizant that things are aware of us or in relationship. And we can also be aware of receiving, that we receive a lot, we receive everything from the earth, food, oxygen, water, beauty, nourishment. And we may also feel that as love. You may feel that as 
the benevolence of the earth, the kindness of the earth, the generosity of the earth, of land, of microorganisms, of trees. Um, so you can just sense into yourself, sense for yourself. Do at times you feel not just love for for things in nature or nature itself, but also coming from from the earth and from the natural world. This this can might feel like a bit of a stretch, but sometimes we can feel that, feel the benevolence. Um, this is a poem from uh, not really a poem; it's probably an extract of a reading, but maybe it's a poem. I don't know. Who cares what it is? It's beautiful lines from um, uh, Saint Francis of Assisi, who is a wonderful Christian mystic and and, and nature nature lover. He said, "In so imagine him going out into the fields in Assisi, in um, beautiful Italian landscape, and he says, such love does the sky now pour, such love does the sky now pour." that whenever I stand in a field, I have to wring out the light when I get home. I have to wring out the light when I get home. And he's someone who's like, he's feeling like bathing in this love, bathing in this light. And sometimes we feel that in a cold day, like I was, where was I? Meditating somewhere today, and it was cold, cold wind, but I was feeling the, the warmth of the sun uh, in the morning. It's very cold this morning. And 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 the felt like the feel of the life-giving quality of the warmth of the sun. And it can feel like love. So what ways are your hearts touched? And feel free to share in the chat right now. The chat's just coming to myself, but I can I will um draw on that and of course as someone as sammy is saying not not all of us have the good fortune to go outside some of us live in the city some of us don't have the physical ability um and sometimes nature is also just what we can sense outside or we can you know have a plant or a flower in our home and that too is can be evocative of of, of the, the, it's a microcosm of the macrocosm. So I want to speak to some of the the wisdom gifts that the, the natural world teaches us about the heart, and then and then speak a little to the the divine abodes, these four flavors of the heart the Buddha pointed to. And so one of the gifts that we can sense into um, at times is when we go outside uh, is, is the sense that we're okay as we are. Right? Generally, when we're in a human environment with other humans, other earthlings, um, there's the sense of often being judged, compared, criticized. When we go out walking on the beach, in the woods, along some farmer's fields, in the park, in our garden, we tend to feel unconditionally welcomed. 
unconditionally accepted. The lovely line from Gretel Ehrlich, she said, um, everything in nature invites us to be what we are. Everything in nature invites us to be what we are. And again, you may, you may explore that for yourself. When you go outside, you go for a walk, sense into that quality of being welcomed or allowed or accepted. In this time on retreat, the flavor of that, that teaching for me is, um, is I'm noticing from my own experience that the phrase that came to me, I was talking with my teacher today, and the phrase that came about my retreat was, my retreat's about being whole with myself in nature. There's something about nature that invites a sense of wholeness. or inclusivity. And so, and again, there's something refreshing when we go outside. The natural world doesn't care how we look or what degrees we have or how old we are or how fit we are or how smart we are or whatever it is. It's just a sense of, oh, you know, when we walk in the forest, we're just part of the forest walking through itself. One of the things I love about going deeper into the woods, deeper into the mountains, is getting away from mirrors, getting away from people, and and just not caring, not self-referencing. When we're around others, we tend to self-reference. Just as when we on Zoom call, you you be mindful of how you look on your little Zoom box. And we just it's just how we are. We're 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 curious about how we're coming across. So, and sometimes that can be a distraction. So you have to hide your self-view. Buddhism talks a lot about exploring self-view. I wish it was as easy as clicking a Zoom button that says hide self-view. Boom, gone. You know, that's very refreshing. So I'll just read from a couple of lines from this poem from Fleur Adcock. Um, she says, um, she's talking about how, you know, she, her face gets flushed in, in nature. And she said, if my face is to be weather beaten as well, it's little enough lost for a year among the lakes and the vales where simply to look out my window at the high pass makes me indifferent to mirrors and to what my soul may wear over its new complexion. He says, now that I'm in love with a place that doesn't care how I look, and if I'm happy, happy is how I look, and that is all. And so there's something that can kind of drop when we're, the, the, the sort of pain of self-referencing, of self-improvement. Another teaching that we get is about Perfection that when we go outside, it was beautiful as I'm walking in this gale today and I'm walking down this road where there's a whole avenue of uh, cypress trees. Cypress trees, in my experience, tend to be quite vulnerable in the wind and so there was the, the, the road was, was strewn with branches and 
limbs. We've had big storms in the last um, six weeks here. And um, so quite a few trees, broken limbs, shredded, fallen over. Um, and, and yet the avenue of cypress trees are still beautiful. With limbs missing, with a canopy disheveled, with broken branches, um, with a whole lot of debris around them, um, there's something still beautiful. They're perfect as they are. They're perfectly imperfect, just as they are. And that's true of so much of nature. I'm walking along the cliffs here, and the cliffs are very interesting. They're, they're made of these tiny little stones and the, and the cliffs are always crumbling. I, and I first was walking here, I was like, what's that weird sound? And and the, the cliffs are literally uh, sort of like showering these tiny stones. The wind blows and there's more stones. Sometimes there's a big fall. I'm surprised there's any cliffs left because they just keep crumbling. Like it's a beautiful teaching of impermanence. And... And they're beautiful as they are. However, however the that crag falls, you know, however the the the, the stones. I was just witnessing a huge stone fall today. <laughs> kind of scary because um, it was quite close. And and yet there's something that again we don't bring that same sense of judgment and criticism. Oh, the the cliff is cliffing, and the cliff is crumbling. And, um, you know, I saw a, a, an old butterfly that had very tattered wings, you know, sort of disheveled and, and it was beautiful in its, in its, in its aging essence, you know, how quick we are to judge aging. And so, so when we see the, 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 the sort of disheveled state of, trees and shrubs and cliffs and we can you know it sort of mirrors us back to our own nature that's you know, life is complex and it's messy and can we meet our own brokenness and messiness and quirks and foibles and idiosyncrasies and not think it should look a certain way but it should be how how it's manifesting through this body and mind and so it helps us let go of this idea of perfection, right? As if there, as if perfection exists somewhere. And I mean, everything is perfectly imperfect uh, in nature, as much as anything else. And so, so it invites a quality of relaxing, allows the heart to relax. I'll share a little poem from Mary Oliver. Um, about how this, the nature is teaching us about to let go of this obsession with perfection, whether it's about looks or intelligence or age or whatever. She writes, every year the lilies are so perfect I can hardly believe their lapped light crowding the black midsummer ponds. Nobody could count them all, count them all. The muskrats swimming among the pads and grasses can reach out their muscular arms and touch only so many they are that rife and wild. But what in this perfect in this world is perfect? I bend closer and see how this one is clearly lopsided, 
how that one wears an orange blight, and this one is a glossy cheek, half nibbled away, and that one is a slumped purse full of its own unstoppable decay. Still, what I want in my life is to be willing to be dazzled, to cast aside the weight of facts, and maybe to float a little above this difficult world. I want to believe that the imperfections are nothing, that the light is everything, that it is more than the sum of each flawed blossom rising and fading, and I do. So she's pointing to how, you know, we can walk past all kinds of things that look perfect and beautiful, in this case, a, um, a lily pond, and then we see it's all ebbing and flowing, just like we are aging and crumbling and disheveled and beautiful. And, as we are. And so, so, so in the outdoors, we can feel that sense of, of welcoming, of being, of being invited. Um, I think of the, I was talking to a, a colleague who talks a lot about the, um, the Bhumis Pashamuja, the, the Buddha on the night of his awakening, touching the earth when Mara, the, the, personification of unconsciousness and ignorance, you know, questions how, you know, who do you think you are to be attaining awakening? And the Buddha says, touches the earth and says, yeah, I'm here. The earth is my witness. The earth, the earth has my back. The earth supports me unconditionally, knows the goodness here. And as beautiful as the earth and all of the species and beings are here, one of the most powerful gifts that, that we're invited to, to be with is both the, the potency of loving what's here and also not holding on. Loving and letting go. Loving and letting go. Right? There's so much beauty this just tonight, looking at the sunset, listening to the sound of waves, watching the mist peel up the dawn. Right? But it's transient, it's passing. Right? No matter how beautiful the mountains are covered in snow, they melt. No matter how beautiful the spring flowers, they fade. No matter how lush the grasslands are in summer, they brown. No, no matter how beautiful the foliage is in autumn, the leaves fade, and so it goes. And so, it, so the I feel like one of the quintessential teachings of nature is to inviting us to love and to not hold on. To love, not hold on. To love and let go. And again, poetically, the poet Mary Oliver puts it this way. She says, to, to, to live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones as if your own life depends on it. And then when the time comes to let it go, to let it go. So in this next part of the talk, I want to talk a little about how the how nature reveals the the heart qualities that the Buddha spoke to of the Brahma Viharas. 
And um, I originally began teaching about this when I would, was teaching meta retreats, loving kindness retreats with Sharon Salzberg. And she asked me to give a talk and I decided to talk about love and nature since we were teaching about meta and the boundless heart. And I thought what's lovely about, you know, cultivate loving kindness in a meditation. Part of the invitation is to, is this, as the Buddha said, to radiate boundlessly, boundlessly to all living beings. And that's a nice idea. But when we go outside, we have some sense of the teeming life and the vastness and the, the myriad forms of life. And so I, I often find going outside a really practical, immediate way to tune into meta because it's because there are so many so many life forms to to be radiating to insects and to bugs and to ants and to trees and to birds and clouds and all of it so um yeah so so in a way i've, I've really been speaking about this first that the foundational heart quality of meta which is benevolence kindness, goodwill, and, you know, it's one of those things I'd say for many of us, the easiest way to love, because nature isn't demanding, it's not complicated like love can be in our human relationships, it's simple, and it's also profound. And it's also very um, accessible. And so it's, again, just to notice, where does love for you, maybe you can share in the chat, where does love, what touches you in the natural world that evokes this quality of love, of care? Like I was, I was, asleep, I was in bed last night and I could hear these great horned owls, these beautiful large owls, these sort of horn, horny ears, and they've got the most beautiful deep and they call to each other in the trees, the partner mates. And just feeling this this again, this fondness, this tenderness. Yeah, it's life it's living itself. Um someone's can write about a buck with large antlers laying under an apple tree by by their house. And also Tasha's talking about listening to the owl, seeing geese fly together, right? The geese migrating this time of year, the sound of sandhill cranes. I would say the sight of sandhill cranes are very beautiful. The cycle and steadiness of the moon, the senescent black walnut self-pruning. I have to look up that, what that word means, senescent. That's a new one for me, but it sounds very yummy. The sea turtle passing us. Right? So many ways that we're touched, sometimes by the extraordinary, but also sometimes very ordinary, like could be just watching a spider weave a web in, in a corner of your house in a window, and just this miraculousness of how this tiny being can create such symmetry and beauty. Um, I remember leading in nature, I was a, so I lead these Awake in the Wild nature meditation teacher trainings, and 
I led a group out. Um, we were uh, in this in this in the woods, and I wanted to to see the sunrise coming over the Sierra Mountains. And so we we sat along this footpath facing west, facing east, facing the mountains. And we were there way before sunrise, so we sat and meditated quietly. And I'd forgotten that this this neighboring field often the they run cattle there and so there was while we're meditating sitting quietly in the line um this um this this small herd of black cows came with their calves and and because we were sitting still meditating which is kind of unusual for i think a cow herd they were sort of very curious so they came really close about, there was about 30 of them and they kind of they kind of walked right in front of us and they were very uh not timid because we were just still we were just you know just sitting <laughs> and the little calves would come up and they'd get really close and sniff and and then run back to their mums and you see the the moisture of the their exhales and their black nostrils and their big eyelashes and this beautiful black long haired coats and and we were eye level so it was this very powerful um very profound uh connection and we don't, we don't usually have that kind of vulnerable connection with cows you know and often we can sort of compartmentalize nature as like the wild and then farmed and then you know the ag industry and um but life is life and nature is nature and cows are as beautiful as anything else um and and it was just in the hearts were just like exploding open with this love for these adorable little calves and cows and, and then there was at least two or if not three people became vegetarians after that experience it was so profound so moving to be that intimate with with cows and so yeah so there's a yeah there's something particular that's that's true of meta but also when we're in nature where we can learn to not just love what we like or prefer or is familiar but to also love unconditionally and and that's really the spirit of metta is to love unconditionally and so and and that's and because of nature's diversity and complexity it invites us to to love all of it right not just the beautiful sunset but also the decaying carcass of something we found in the forest or the slumped over um fallen tree or the the moss on the ground so and and it's and it's remarkable how much we can feel love for anything for lichen for the for a millipede and as I was walking at Spirit Rock one day and um, down a trail and um, it was spring, so the gra- green grass was tall and was the grasses were bending over the trail. And 
Yes, because I was walking slowly, mindfully, I noticed at the end, the tip of the one long blade of grass leaning into the middle of the footpath was a tick. And at the end, as they do, they crawl up the long stems and hang out, waiting for a nice warm-blooded mammal to walk by, to grab on, to feed, to survive. And in that moment, I felt incredible love for this little being. You know, I don't like ticks. I don't want them anywhere near me or anybody I know. Um, but they're just doing what they're doing, which is surviving like all life. And um, and in that moment, the heart had the capacity to love. Of course, I didn't, you know, gave the tick plenty of room. <laughs> so I, um, in the same way, coming across snakes or other things that might initially startle, but also seeing how the heart can also love that. Um, or as Kylie saying, the beauty of the mottled bark on the trunk of a spotted gum tree. Um, in so many ways, the heart can open both to what's naturally easy to love, like the beauty of a of a deer lying quietly with its mother in the forest, but also things that may be more challenging. I invite you to 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 stretch you know when i see dead things in in the forest or skulls or skeletons okay and take that in you know that too and then very importantly one of this this another quality flavor of the heart the buddha talked about talked about it as mudita is is appreciative joy appreciative joy in the joy of others but also just the quality of delight itself and nature is, if anything, this beautiful um, evocateur, if that's a word, evoker of joy, evoker of delight. Right? Just think about the innumerable ways that you've experienced joy or delight. Listening to the sound of the ocean, watching grasses sway in the breeze, seeing wildflowers in the meadow, listening to the sound of rain or the stillness and the silence of snow or all the many many ways that the you know the heart is is sort of invited it's like it's like like a heart can become effervescent and sparkly with the joy that we can experience outside and this is such an important quality to tend to because of the times that we live in right we tend to live busy lives, full lives, complex lives. We're inundated with bad news, inundated with negativity from media, from other sources, social media, whatnot. And we tend to operate at a very high level of stress. It's interesting being on retreat and, and feeling and sensing my nervous system slowing down and not being bombarded with stimuli news and and all the pain of the world and and just you know and then having some time to to breathe and to look around and to listen and 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 the as as we as i start to disentangle for these days the, i notice my my sensitivity grows there's more attunement to beauty to 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 and then more opportunity to feel touched, 
to feel delight, to feel happiness, well-being. And so it's important that we tend to that. It's important that we know what allows the heart to flower. You know, for example, I wake up early every day and and I um and I'm very oriented to the sunrise because I my where I live it looks east over the water and I make a point to sitting with the dawn and the sunrise, but not always. Sometimes the pull to email, the pull to work, the pull to projects. And then I look up from my computer and say, oh, the sunrise is gone. Oh, what, what, what a tragedy to miss a sunrise over a few emails. <laughs> you know, but the pull to do, to, you know, to get to projects and work and tasks and, you know, take care of things. And, and so, you know, so easy for us for joy to just be sidelined. And it's, and it's medicine. In these times, joy and delight is medicine. It's a wonderful poem I love from Jack Gilbert called um, um, A Brief for the Defense. And he says, we can do without pleasure, but not delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight. We must risk delight in the ruthless furnace of the world. We must risk delight. It's a very powerful and provocative statement. We must risk delight for our own sanity, our own well-being, right? to, to be mindful of what is it that brings joy and delight for you? And then give that attention, whatever that is. And then the, the being outdoors also opens the heart tenderly. There's so, so many things when we sense into life and the, and the tremendous challenge and struggle to survive for any species, we can, our hearts can feel tender. The spider weaving its web, trying to make a web enough, good enough, you know, to catch its food. The, the deer who are constantly vigilant around their safety. Um, the returning songbirds um, nesting now and, and, and um, mating and um, just how, how, you know, some of them have flown thousands of miles to get to, to get to, you know, suitable climate for, for nesting. On the struggle of the trees, you know, where I live is, you know, sort of longish term drought and the, and the, the fires and the, the, the challenge for the animals and, you know, on and on and on. Um, and so as so that so when our heart when our hearts open and we're aware and we in nature we can also feel the the tenderness and the vulnerability of life and the struggle. And it's a beautiful thing to feel the compassion of the heart, to feel this natural flavor of the heart, to wish to care, to wish to support, to wish to take care of, the wish to protect. I always been watching this very beautiful, very inspiring um, project um, called the Ocean Cleanup. Some of you may be familiar with it. Uh, started by this uh, young, when then young man, 
Boyan Slat, who was 16, and we went swimming and snorkeling in um, Greece and realized there was as much plastic bags floating in the Mediterranean as there was fish. And so he began researching at school, like high school, like how how could we somehow extract all of this plastic? And he ended up giving a TED talk at some point, and that went viral. And now he's created this amazing, amazing devices that they're now scaling up, um, that are they're pulling out, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of tons of plastic, and they have this mission to to reduce to take out you know the majority of the plastic in the in the what they call it the Pacific Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which is the size of Texas, this floating island of plastic, has plans to to remove that plastic by 2040. It's an incredible vision. And it started by, you know, his care, his heart, like feeling for the for the for the tragedy of what's happening to the oceans and also knowing that so much of that plastic ends up in the bellies of birds and albatrosses and turtles and fish and whales. And um, and so when the heart's open and moved and touched, it can, it can allow these tremendous, tremendous things. This is a quote from Robin Wall Kimmera from Potawatomi Nation. She says, knowing that you love the earth changes you activates you to defend and protect and celebrate but when you feel that the earth loves you in return that feeling transforms the relationship from a one-way street into a sacred bond knowing that you love the earth changes you activates you to defend and protect and celebrate but when you feel that the earth loves you in return that feeling transforms the relationship from a one-way street into a sacred bond so it's natural at times that we feel sad, we feel grief, we feel great sorrow, what's happening to our planet, what's happening to the earth, to the oceans, to the coral reefs, to ecosystems, to trees, to forests, to species. We're losing tremendous amount of species and populations of species. And, and the, natu the natural response of the earth's nervous system, which we are, is to, is to feel to feel sad, to feel grief, to feel lost, to feel tender, to feel tears. That's a healthy part of our heart responding to that which we love and care. The reason that we grieve or we feel vulnerable and, and, and sad is because we love. We love this earth. We love the beings of this earth. And so lastly, the, the earth is this great teacher of resilience, of, of, of equanimity, as the Buddha spoke about it in the, the Four Flavors of Love. There's so many, we can look anywhere and everywhere at, at, the, at the earth and being species to see how tenacious life is. And I was just teaching a retreat down in... in uh, in the southern tip of Baja, in the mountains, and and it's it rains one day a year, one day every year they get a hurricana comes in, it rains one day a year, and yet these valleys and hillsides are green, lush. It's like a forest. It's like a desert forest of all these different plants, beautiful uh, 
they call them salita trees, these ficus trees, tamarind trees, huge, beautiful, and and yet so tenacious. Right, one day a year of rain, and yet it allows this fecundity of life. Right, the the cactus surviving sometimes years without rain in the desert, right? or even the trees here. Something good. The trees last six eight months without rain, and yet they have deep roots. I was watching this young eucalyptus tree to the side of my house here, and um, and it was a howling wind. It was 50 mile an hour gusts, probably even stronger, 60 maybe. And it was bending. It was just incredible how fluid this tree was. It's this, it's like this, was this whirling dervish of a tree. And then, and then the wind stops, and it comes to stillness, and then it bends and moves, and just like what a great teacher of fluidity and resilience and equanimity. And so, so we can draw on so many different beings that this, the steadiness of mountains, of rocks, of trees. And so. I just sort of done a, uh, you know, guided us through a little through some of the dimensions of the heart, how we the hearts moved, touched by the natural world to love, to feel joy, to feel compassion, tenderness, to feel equanimity, steadiness. And so, my invitation to you is, as I do when I talk about nature and nature practice, um, two words. The most important words I'll say all night, go outside, go outside, go outside, go outside. Bundle up as I did. I had my down jacket on. I had a windbreaker over that. I had a scarf and my hat and my gloves and go outside. You know, unless you're in Minnesota and it's minus 40 with wind chill in and there's this, this limits to going outside. But you know, or look out the window, you know, or walk in the woods, or tend to the flowers in your garden, or not flowers, but maybe the plants. And take, you know, go into nature with this contemplative awareness, receptive, open, spacious. And receive, as um, John Muir said, go into nature and receive the good tidings of the earth, receive the blessing and see how it moves the heart, how the heart can wake up. Sometimes we get so numb, so shut down, so two-dimensional when we're just looking at a screen and working and working and go outside, take a walk in your neighborhood, in the park, wherever it is, look up at the night sky, at the moon, the stars, the to feel the wind and the vitality of the elements and let the heart wake up all right friends well thank you for listening to me tonight and always a pleasure being with you and um yeah and if you want to get more inspiration check out my new book the field guide to nature meditation it's got 52 practices i'm offering a year-long program where you join a community where we do a practice a week and check in once a month. You can find join that as an inspiration for your nature practice. There's a link here in the 
in the um, in the chat or just go to my website markcolman.org or my my other organization awakenthewild.com that has a lot of information about my nature work all right friends so feel free to share anything else in the chat i've enjoyed uh, your comments in the chat and also uh, we're going to unmute you so you can also say good night okay Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.